When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. are going to answer some listener questions uh, about this arc. I'm going to try and get as many as I can, but I do want uh, things to be within reason. Our first one uh, comes from Andy over on Patreon. Uh, Just so folks know, when I do do debriefs like this with listener questions, I will be reading all of the patron submitted questions first, and then I go to other sources, be they Twitter or email or whatnot. For this one, we, we only had one uh, patron exercising their their priority powers. And Andy writes in, first of all, Andy, thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. Are there any luminaries that the people of Acheron pay more heed to or honor? I, I don't know about more heed necessarily. However, I do think the union has a bit of a different, uh, like, theme to not not theme but like a different tone to it than it might in some other places like the union so that we all know is like the the like luminary that represents love but also represents like community and and kind of collective strength so like that that is you know the the luminary that the lilies are most tied to um and so like love and romance and and like familial friendship all the all the various types of love kind of fall under the union but and a part of that is this like community love like the the love that you get through fellowship with like a a group that makes up your your environment and area and how mutual aid like lends strength in that the the whole thing about love is like providing that united strength here in in the world of sphere so i, I think like while there isn't like worship of it i i think there is this widespread in acheron partially due to the effect that uh douglas Ke- kessler had like becoming a pillar of that community is they care a lot about viewing their community as a community and creating like resources that help everyone and caring for neighbors and, you know, protecting neighbors and uh, making sure that the community can provide for everyone who joins it. I think that is that is something that is recognized whether or not it is treated as like the union is sacred to this place. It is like, hey, this message, this this voice of the union is important to us as a community and we embody that through our, our actions and structure and, and deeds and whatnot. Andy had, had a few others. And again, you know, only, only patron who submitted them. We're going to answer all parts of, of Andy's various questions. Uh, do Douglas and D'Antonia have matching tattoos for some, from some past adventure? Yes. Uh, you know, because bees is influential on this character, uh, on, uh, Douglas, I'm not going to name what they are, but yes, they, they do have either matching tattoos or, or tattoos that are in conversation with one another. They're, I, I hope to, at some point release a zine just discussing different Aaron or tattoos, and meanings behind them. And maybe not Ariners, just like tattoos with the Skyjacks in general, but definitely Ariners will be a theme. I think they would have a set of tattoos that are kind of grounded in the fact that they met and grew to love one another as Ariners and that that was a big part of their lives together. Did the crew run free in the rest of town and how much did Pliff struggle with the heat from the food? 
gosh. Well, yes. So there is a portion of the crew that we know went off and had fun at the Lightfellow Ranch. And there's a portion of the crew that was in town for Jonnet's um, gobble-knocked ceremony. We didn't, again, get into it as much as I would have loved to. But like, yeah, you know that crew is like having fun, silly adventures in, in both of those places. This is a light and relaxing thing. They're here not just to, you know, rest and whatnot, but they're here to celebrate like someone who's become a really pivotal member of, of their crew. So I, I think there are a lot of fun things. And yeah, definitely Pliff has had to deal with like biting into some some hot chicken sandwiches that were way too hot for him. I think that is delightful. So yeah, that that is it for our Patreon questions. The rest of them really, really came in through Twitter. And this one comes to us from uh, the Potato Professor on Twitter. Will session double zero ever be released of the whole show? Uh, not just the uh, this arc, uh, they mean. So first part of this question, yes, it will. Uh, the issue is the audio quality on that is not wonderful, and it is also a four-hour audio file. So it requires, like, I have to have an editorial pass because I have to make sure that there is no more spoiler content left in that. And it's just, it's a lot to sit with. So I haven't gotten around to doing it yet. We will at some point. Um, I, I don't know when that point will be. I would like to do it soon, you know, maybe, maybe after next arc, that might be a, a fun thing to do. Uh, I will see about that. I think it'll be interesting for juxtaposition. I, I don't think there's anything like critical that, that y'all are missing right now. When we have uh, the show fully ported over to our new host and ads are up, I might actually like uh, make a, a bigger effort to release that because a, you know, hopefully we'll have a bigger operational budget that we will be able to afford somebody to sit down and work on all of that. But B, uh, the, the other thing is once it is up, it might motivate some of you to like re-listen and see how we approached and paid off on the different ideas that we had before we started recording the show. And if you do that, that will generate a lot of extra income for the show, which would be good for everyone. So yeah, I, I, I will try to do that once we are fully shifted over, which hopefully is going to be by the end of November. It's slow going because like, it's a lot of stuff that we are doing and like, we're doing it across the whole network, but I would really like that. Yeah. And I don't want to hit go on the ads until we have a reporting system set up for everyone to, you know, tell us if like, Hey, there's a, this ad sucks. Cause we, we certainly don't want uh super bad ads on our feed. The other question is care to explain the difference in sacrifice between Jonnet and his mom, because it's kind of not clear. And I asked for clarification on uh, what, what uh, they meant about this. And the response was, or I said, do you mean the difference between Jonnet not being able to perceive hip and uh, how eating the soup hid his mom's identity? And this person responded, I think it's because she burnt her name, but I thought, Jonnet only burnt Hip's name too, so hence the confusion. Okay, so there are two different elements going on here. There's a lot of magic in the world of Sphere. All of it is like folk magic, so it's based around like the idea of feeling like the story of this thing makes sense that it would be powerful and work and do something. Therefore, it does that thing. And we know if you are a person who is looking to change your identity or or conceal your identity or, or make yourself hard to find, you've got a couple options. One is burning your name. And what is burning your name? Well, we know that Dref did that. In burning his name, he kind of removed himself or that version of himself as a person from the world and had to rebuild a new identity as Dref. Uh, the, the sort of thing where, gosh, I'm trying to remember his name as a young blood and it is escaping me whatever drefts drefts young blood name escapes me uh, and uh, how appropriate because he burnt that name he destroyed it uh so when you know there were reports of his death because his name was burnt it was just much easier to believe and perceive that that 
he was died because that person no longer existed in a certain sense. And, you know, this is something that kind of uh, I, I decided is a thing like a little bit after JPC had left the show. I figured out the mechanics of like burning names and whatnot. Actually, yeah, like literally the end of that arc, because I mentioned John at burning something as an idea and that sort of spiraled into figuring out what happened with Dref. If we were to do like a graphic novel or an animated series or some kind of TV show or whatnot, there would be a little bit more attention paid to how Burning Dreth's name worked. But essentially, yeah, he disconnected himself from that name, which made it very hard for Tiberius, who was looking for him, to find him. Alistair. Alistair was his young blood name. Uh, it made it difficult for Tiberius to find Alistair. He did eventually manage to track Alistair down and have that confrontation, but burning the name was like is like one option the other one that we came up with is eating the soup which you know obviously uh used by by trans folks but also you know famously used by travis madigo who was merely trying to build a new identity from himself to escape things that he had done in his chaotic past and perhaps even give himself a little bit of cover from the forest queen there are a lot of complicated things there what is eating the soup? Uh, unlike burning your name, which destroys the old identity, eating the soup sort of instills a, a new identity in you. And this is a complicated process, and it is as diverse and variable as soup is as a concept. So when you brew a new name in a soup, you add ingredients that inform what you want the name to be and how you want it to change. So there are a lot of different ways it can go down. If you are someone like who, who is like transitioning and you really want to completely cut yourself off from the old name, like you can make it so that like, yeah, even if people recognize you as the person they knew before, they know that that old name and they feel that that old name does not fit you anymore. And the people like if there is somebody who doesn't want to recognize your transition or something like they know that they are doing something wrong when they dead name you, they can feel that it feels wrong and that like. It is their stubbornness that is preventing them from accepting what is the actual reality, which is that is not who you are talking to. This person has a different name and you should be respecting and understanding that. However, there are also people who eat the soup for other reasons. For instance, uh, with Winona, she ate the soup, but not because she wanted to relieve herself of her old identity, but because she wanted to keep that old identity and people who are connected to it safe. If she was caught as a Corsair and recognized for being who she was as a Corsair, that could be dangerous for her family. You know, the, the Red Feather Syndicate might try to take back the money that they had to pay out or, or something like that. So her soup wanted to give her this new name, but allow her to reveal who she was to the people that she cared about if it ever came to that, if she wanted to to, to go back on it. But, and, and Travis probably has a, has a similar thing with, with Travis Madigo. It's like, you know, these days when people casually refer to Travis, they refer to him as Travis. Gable might have met him as Travis. Gable might have met him as Trevor McRib or like there are so many different identities that Travis has held. But, you know, when Gable talks about Travis now, they say Travis. And, you know, Margaret, I'm sure, like, We'll call Travis William sometimes now that she knows this thing, but like also refers to him as Travis a bunch too. So I, I like him eating the soup there. It's like Travis Madigo feels like the most natural name, but like it's possible to know about other identities and whatnot. And that makes it easier for him to move around the, the chaos he might have introduced to the world uh, and not necessarily have to full-on confront it. So the ways in which burning Hip's name is different than Winona, when Jonnet burnt his memories of Hip and Hip's name to the point where he wasn't able to perceive Hip anymore and form new memories, he like 
destroyed his ability to access this relationship as a sacrifice to enhance the spell that he was casting against the Mariner. It's it's a big sacrifice, and, and the thing that is like separating those things is the intentions with which Jonnet burnt that name. Like it was very sudden, very hasty decision. And like, he's like, I need to give something up that is valuable and important to me so that I can find enough power to make this spell work. And the far reaching implication is like, well, he can't remember hip and he can't perceive hip to form new memories. Whereas with Winona, the her, her taking on Dantonia as a new identity, what shielded her is that even people who knew her in her previous life, unless she revealed that she was this person, she would not let like people would not be able to perceive her as Winona. So even if you were somebody who like was married to her, was was her child, or had flown with her for years, whatever. Because she had eaten the soup, like you would really only know that she is Dantonia Crossblades. Even if it's like, oh, I got this deja vu effect. This person feels familiar and significant to me, and I can't pin down why. Like I can't see that this was Winona Kessler. This is Dantonia Crossblades, and and that is strategically what she did in the brewing of her soup to try and keep herself and the people around her safe. So that is the difference between those things. They are just different traditions that involves magic surrounding identity. This next one comes to us from Aaron Land. Hi, James. What was the most unexpected part of the arc for you? What moments uh, did you know we're going to hit on? Thanks. Uh, yeah. And then there's some very nice things that you know, I don't feel the need to repeat on air. Um, but Okay, so the the big surprises for me, before the arc even started, sitting down with bees to build out Doug's backstory, I was not expecting Douglas Kessler and the Kessler family to have this tremendous melodrama bomb. I expected to tell a much smaller sad story about a family that kind of had to overcome being separated and build an identity where, you know, in the end, the kids are all right. Like uh, uh, Douglas can be proud of what his kids achieved and, and happy with it. But like the drama is delicious there. Like in, even if I felt a little weird during that role playing, that, that world building session with bees where it was like, well, Tyler's not opting into a lot of this. And like, I even had to talk to Tyler's like, Hey, are you okay with your dad maybe having a more exciting and special backstory than Jonnet knows about or you as a performer is established? And Tyler is, of course, on board for that. But like, yeah, it, it's one of those things where I really wasn't – I, I was expecting to have some cool family stuff happen in the arc and like really investigate the sibling relationship and and parent relationship between Jonnet, uh, Douglas, and Zana. But all of this other stuff cropped up too, and it was like too good to ignore, but it changed a lot of plans at the outset. Um, then the other surprise, which I had mentioned before, was just I did not expect the party to split in the way that it did split. What moments did I know were going to hit? I knew for certain that hip appearing was going to be big. Like, and this is the thing that uh, I've talked to Tyler a lot about because, like, this was coming up and, like, Tyler is like, man, I made that decision ages ago. And, like, even as I have multiple times, like, confirmed with Tyler, like, the various, like, nature and qualities of this decision that Jonnet made, like, Tyler – it was very much like having Jonnet kill a guy in, in our earliest sessions where it's like, this is a decision that is actually so much bigger than I thought about in the moment. And I'm struggling to like figure out as a performer how to be honest to that and, and whatnot in my performance. So like we, we talked a lot about it. We knew it was going to be a big moment. And I think the way that it played out was really cool, you know? It was a little bit understated. Hip comes in, clearly doesn't understand what's going on at first. Everybody in the room slowly catches on to it. And, you know, it 
unearths some of this like antagonistic feeling that uh, Douglas Kessler and Hip have towards the Uhuru crew and Captain Oromar Vale as like this is an essential relationship in Jonnet's life that he's cut off from because of decisions that he made while he was with the Uhuru crew. So yeah, it was, it was a very cool and complicated scene. I think it hit very well. In recording the family scene, like uh, after the ceremony and whatnot, where they're kind of decompressing about the revelation that uh, Winona is alive, I knew that would be pretty impactful and pretty intense, like the content warnings for like family separation and like abandonment and whatnot have been throughout this arc because there's some heavy, complicated stuff there. And after that performance, like you could feel it in the moment, like how how good that was and how big it was going to hit. The other thing that I was anticipating popping off more, uh, but because of player decisions, like we're just ramping up the moment even more was Braith finally delivering Margaret's letter and, you know, also Fithina's letter uh, and Ferdinand and whatnot. I expected the return of Ferdinand to be a bigger moment, uh, but I was also trying to figure out how do I fit it into the story that we we currently have ahead because we knew a little bit about what we wanted to do for this upcoming arc. So I wanted to have Ferdinand pop in, and I thought having Braith bring Ferdinand would be like the biggest bang for our buck. And Ferdinand is like one of those things like – that duck is something that one of the few things that Johnny remembered as a performer and would occasionally bring up. And also a thing all across social media, different times, people were like, whatever happened to Ferdinand? And like, I thought we had very clearly explained that Ferdinand was out being studded because it was a champion race duck at that point and would probably return at some point in the future, but like was out of the picture for the time being. You know, at this point in the story, we are probably three to five months past the events of Bujanith. Um, I'll have to put together a real timeline at, at some point, but like there's usually like a couple weeks voyage between each stop and, you know, they are spending time in some of these places and whatnot. So like, you know, char- charting out, like we do know it was six months after like, like Jonnet was with the crew for six months before the start of the narrative. And this is like roughly six months after that um, to for him to come back after a year for his 16th birthday. So like t- time has passed um, and it is sort of practically enough time for, for the duck to have been studded at this point, especially if that's happening in, in Bujanith, like, I think all it needs is to like produce a, a, a few clutches of eggs with with different various partners. And, you know, I don't know what animal husbandry looks like in, in the Griffin world, at least in terms of breeding like that. But like I imagine it's a big operation that, that, that pays out a lot of money. So, you know, I knew I wanted this to show up at some point and I thought there would be a much bigger pop moment uh, for Johnny as a performer for Ferdinand to come back. But Johnny – Almost no sold it. And like, I think it was weird. We hit in like one of these valleys of Johnny's memory of like not really remembering the duck, even though he had kind of mentioned it like a couple recordings ago. I was like, when he mentioned that, I was like, oh man, I can't wait to do this duck reveal. It's going to be so cool. And then it comes up and like, there is less of a moment between Travis and Ferdinand. And part of that is due to the fact that that was a very chaotic recording day. We had so many guests in the room. Bees was with us. Rashawn was with us. And Mel had to come in for this little bit. Um, now, they weren't all there at the same time. I think Bees was with it throughout. Rashawn showed up for like half of the episode. And uh, Mel was was only there for this one scene. But, you know, really chaotic day. We only had the performers for like four-hour chunks because like, you know, that's as much as people's time that I feel like I can take up. So we had to get this scene in and we, we, we got it. But like, I think it, I, I would have maybe hoped that uh, it would have had a, a, a bigger impact. But like, there are also other big things happening. Um, and, you know, like part of it is ignored, like 
Travis still has this mummified uh, monkey and ceremonial knife uh, that he has not used. We had um, like also those letters, like ultimately what happened is, you know, we read the, the thinna letter and I had Drew dub over it, but I was anticipating the Margaret letter to be read at that time too. And Johnny was like, Hey, we've talked a little bit about what the next arc is going to be. Can I put it off for a dramatic moment in that next arc? And, you know, that's a good dramatic instinct. I had to go with that. So we've built up the tension of this letter and whatever Margaret is saying in response to Travis even more. So, you know, that is coming up, but like, yeah, I expected it to hit in that moment. I had everything written out. I was prepared to read it. And, you know, we, we kicked the can down the road a little bit. Liz in the recording did actually read it. So when they say that Gable is reading it and, you know, going to like prepare and brace Travis for it um, and ease him into it, that did actually happen. And what you heard in Liz's performance, that is Gable actually having read the letter and like trying to counsel Travis and prepare him to, you know, receive the message in that letter. And you know, I, I really respect the decision that, that that Gable makes in that moment, too, of like, you can wait on this a little bit and I will help you through this. We don't have to do this right now. You can take some time to absorb it um, because that is different than running away from things, which is what Travis has normally done, and different than like forcibly confronting Travis into things, which is kind of what had to happen with Margaret. Otherwise he was going to lose his hand, you know? So it, it found a good middle ground that I think actually does reflect Travis's growth as a character. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This next question comes to us from Thirst for Worse, and it reads, How far ahead was the name soup aspect of the setting created? Was it created for this arc or was it something thought up when Jonnet's backstory is written or somewhere in between? Name Soup was literally invented in the Dominion arc when we talked about the doctor, uh, uh, the, the metaphysician, because we were trying to figure out why Travis would go to a metaphysician and what a metaphysician was capable of and all of this stuff. And somewhat like I, I can't even remember how it unfolded, but the idea that the metaphysician made Travis a new identity and the way that they made Travis a new identity was through soup was through making a soup that was his name. And, you know, it, it, like it, it, that is obviously a thing that is kind of in conversation with heart root tea in that, like some folks, when they transition, really passionately care about and need a, a new name for themselves, a name that falls in line with how they feel about themselves and their identity. And, you know, like that, that goes hand in hand with, with folks who uh, feel like they want, they, they, they want or who need to make changes to their bodies. I, you know, not, not being trans myself. Uh, it is difficult to find the proper words for this because, uh, you know, it is much easier for me to get something wrong. I don't want to belittle anybody's journey or feelings by saying feel like they need or whatever, like they do need, if people say they need something, they need it. And people's feelings are also tremendously important and, uh, we shouldn't underplay them or all that. Anyway, Getting back to to the thing at hand, changing your name and changing your body are like things that you can do in our real world and reflecting representation of trans narratives in sphere. I want the like and I've said this about uh, heart root tea before. I want those things, those journeys to be possible in the world of sphere 
and easier. I want there to be some some wish fulfillment fantasy in in how they work. So like heart root tea is a lot easier to control and a lot easier to access uh, than any kind of like physical transition methods that we have in our world. Um, and it, it's gentler and, and more fun. And there's almost like a cozy aesthetic to it too. Like there is, it is just easier to do. Um, and it does exactly what you want. And I felt like, Hey, that's pretty good power fantasy. And for name soup, like First, it it really just started as like, well, this is a convenient and cool and kind of spooky, fun way for a person to change identities. But like it became very apparent very quickly, like, oh, yeah, this would obviously be part of a transition process because it is a way to like assert your real name and shed your dead name at the same time. And like different from burning a name it's less violent and more like I feel like eating the soup is carrying something forward is going like I have always been who I am and that is this name. And now that feels right for everyone because I have undergone the ceremony when you are eating the soup for for transition. Whereas burning your name is really shedding yourself and distancing yourself from something, which, you know, maybe some people do eat the soup and burn their old name. But like, I kind of think there is this um, weird, I I don't want to call it fully anti-trans sentiment because I, I would have empathy for parents who named their child something and their child uh, comes to them, you know, uh, more grown and says, Actually, this name that you gave me hurts me. That has to be a difficult emotional journey to go on. And I can understand people having like irrational reactions to that. And the irrational reaction of you are casting off the first gift that I gave you or whatever, like that's not great. Um, uh, and I, I think it like, it is this emotional reaction that, that somebody is like turning into a statement that it really isn't. And they're not listening to their child and all of these other things, but I, I understand why it happens. And I feel like burning a name as, as part of that, like sort of validates that perspective, which, which I don't really love, which is why eating the soup became such a cool thing to incorporate into the world for lots of reasons. And one of those reasons being trans stuff. So what was it created for for this? Absolutely not. It was created uh, kind of as a spur of the moment decision in the Dominion arc when we were talking about the metaphysician. Was it something that came up with John Spector was written? Nope. Uh, yeah. It's like literally it, it came up and because it was a thing in the world, it became a, oh yeah, obviously a character could use this tool within the world to do this thing. And coincidentally, I think it is very funny and very fun that for whatever reason, part of how like an important thematic element of transitioning in the world of sphere happens to be hot liquids. Yes, some people probably take their heart root tea as as iced tea, but like <laughs> and 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 your name soup might also be a gazpacho. I don't know. I just think it's so, so funny that these like consumable nourishing liquids are are what has become emblematic of the trans experience in, in sphere. It's just a weird and fun coincidence. This next one comes to us from Just Gazer, and they ask, why all the D names though? I want to point out that I am they theming pretty much everybody uh, who asks questions in this because I don't want to lose my place in uh, scrolling through your questions uh, to look at your profiles to know what 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 your pronouns are. Um, so I'm just they, them, and all folks right now. While the D names, hey, it was a bit and we ran with it. You know, we had the Durf family and uh, Tyler definitely named the kid that he had the little rivalry with, Denny Durf. And he also in a separate thing like months later. So they couldn't be connected to each other at all. Like almost a year later, I think they couldn't be connected to each other at all. Named his father, Douglas Kessler. And because of that, every NPC just had a D name, just fun bits and jokes. More seriously, 
what thing gave you the most joy to watch uh, sort of come together as you played? Um, most joy, I am going to say there was a ton of joy in watching the sibling dynamic between Zana and Jonnet. For a while, like we knew, like from Jonnet's initial backstory, which came to me right before session one, because as I pointed out, uh, Tyler's originally going to play a different character with a slightly similar concept who ended up becoming Jonnet. And I think Jonnet was a better and stronger choice um, uh, and and works with the theme in a cool way. But it's a funny piece of history. But in the backstory that uh, he wrote for this character, uh, Jonnet always had a sister. That sister's name was always Zana. But we went back and forth uh, as to whether or not that was an older or younger sister we forgot it at one point and retconned it as part of like the thing. And we were trying to figure out like, what dynamic do we want here? Because the thing that we knew is that John had taken this map that was given to his sister by hip. So there is like a bit of a betrayal and a violation in that relationship already. This is like kind of a big desperate move. So we wanted to understand and, and justify why John did this and However, we did that was going to inform a lot about the relationship between these two characters. And ultimately, like, we we settled on this thing where Zana is Jonnet's younger sister, who Jonnet feels like is copying him, but is also really capable. And, like, he's struggling to growth and uh, struggling for growth. He needs to do that independently because he doesn't want to be outshined while he's being copied. And, you know, they're both big personalities who are trying to build their own lives for themselves and not struggle within or around their sibling shadows. It's a cool, complicated dynamic. And I think Rashawn and Tyler made it really fun. I mean, they're both talented performers, talented comedians. And so they took all of these heavy themes and they turned it into banter that was really just a delight to watch. And I frankly cannot wait to see more with them in the future. Uh, yeah. So th- that, that, that just gave me a delight because I love watching the cast of the show really take off and run with things. You know, I, I saw this in like just last arc with Gable and everything with the Morning Star. You see this in in Nordia with Johnny's uh, performance investigating uh, Travis's complicated past. Like there are these cool things that I, I think are cool conceptually, but when the performers get get this in their hands and actually put on a show, like it is so clear how valuable collaboration is to this project, how much stronger the series is because there are a bunch of people working together to make it. And yeah, it it is great to see that every time I, I give my performers like something juicy to work with and they elevate it so much farther beyond like the sum of its parts. Also, also another, another shout out to, to both like Rashawn bees, uh, uh, Mel and drew like, bringing in guest performers. Everybody did a great job. And like, I knew that bringing them in for these different aspects would make the arc more fun, uh, like more fun to listen to. And like, I, I just love seeing that actually play out, uh, in, in front of my eyes and in front of the audience of like, just seeing people put on a good show. I, I, I knew bees was a talented performer, from his auditions for Oromar Vale. And I'm so glad that we got an opportunity to work with them. I, I know that like Mel and Drew are, are both better performers than they give themselves credit for. And so I, I love seeing their work prove, you know, th- th- this thing that they, that they are good and great. And I'm so lucky to work with them. Moving on to Claudie AF. How was it to add on three guests in a single arc? How did it change the recording schedule? Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about this. So I obviously love all of my guests and love that we have the ability to get guests when we need them for big roles that need representation, that need an individual performer. Like, I I think there is a lot of focus on the fact that, like, you know, we we cast Oromar because uh, the way things lined up, like, 
it was sending a message and using tropes that were antithetical to the things that we were going for on Skyjacks. And like a way to avoid that is by having, you know, people represent themselves uh, uh, in, in a sense, more or less. I'm not implying that Nathan is a famous pirate captain, but could could very well be. You, you, you can avoid that by by not putting your voice in somebody else's mouth. But like even beyond that, structurally, it is difficult to juggle a lot of NPCs with distinct personalities all at the same time. You know, like Hildred and the broker haven't been in a room together yet. And that's part of it. It feels difficult. And like I do think we kind of managed to pull this off with with Wendell and Nodos in the Dominion arc, but like it's still hard. It's still hard to have a natural flowing conversation where you are two parts of it and those two parts can talk to each other. And frankly, like there are big moments that sort of needed the pressure to be off of me as the GM to portray characters so that like two performers can fully invest and embody a character. Douglas Kessler got to make decisions uh, that I don't know that I would have been able to make for Douglas Kessler as GM because Bees was able to really consider this character's past and journey and prioritize it in the performance. So all, all of that said, like, amazing. Love having these guests. The scheduling was an actual nightmare, especially because of all the challenges that we were bumping up against uh, with, you know, people's different time zones and uh, how much of my life and attention is taken up by uh, uh, an infant uh, uh, coming into my life. Like, it was difficult to juggle. And I was worried about huge disruptions to the production schedule. You know, we we had, like... In the Dominion arc, we added a fully new link in the chain to our editing process to hopefully smooth things out and make it easier for Casey. Because I don't want Casey to be getting a bunch of files and have to listen to and sort out how to place all of them in addition to all of the detailed, like, attentive editing work that he does on the show normally. It's just a lot. It's overwhelming. Um, and Casey's job is already very difficult. So like we had to add all of this in to make things smooth, which is like investing more in the production. It costs more to produce the show than it used to, which means our money as a company doesn't stretch as far, but like it allows us to maintain this level of quality and, and reach newer and greater heights. So like, all all of that, like we're we're taking a bigger swing and a bigger investment when when we're adding these guests. So that that is a challenge. But the I think the real thing that I struggled with in a production role and a GMing role is I am actually not able to comfortably flow from scene to scene and let the scenes sit and marinate the way that I want them to as a performer and somebody who's managing the story because I only have period people for certain periods of time. Like I need everybody there in the recording session because I don't know which way the groups are going to split off and break. And I want everybody to have the opportunities to interact with each other and, and make an impact on, on the character relationships and story. But like, I also don't want to say, Hey, Rashawn, can you be with us uh, for four hours this week? even if it like has a chance of like making the mystery County production schedule more difficult or what have you. So like we were only able to really have Rashawn in there for one and a half sessions. And I think she made a tremendous impact and was a force within those sessions. But like you, you feel it a little bit in the story of like, yeah, Zana shows up, has a couple scenes, gets to shine a little bit in those scenes and then disappears because, um, like, I think even one of the planned recording sessions for Rashawn, Rashawn couldn't make the the three that that we wanted, and because like we we had to we were recording all sorts of things at the same time, so we had to rearrange things. It was really difficult to work with. So, like, yeah, I didn't get to slowly and carefully consider this arc in the way that I want to. I didn't get to 
do the Nordia treatment where we get to follow down every plot thread and make every choice as important as it could possibly be. I think a really good example for what I am trying to communicate uh, when I say this thing is mini singleton and what happened in Nordia with that NPC. You know, we, we had, we, we needed some way to motivate Gable to investigate the, or, or raise the stakes for Gable as they were, uh, you know, arrested on this ship. Like I wanted Gable to move around a little bit to give Gable someone to talk to and whatnot. So we created to justify some of these character motivations and whatnot, mini singleton as a character. We very quickly gave this NPC a backstory, gave them motivations, a personality and put them in an environment where we were telling an important story within mini singleton's life. And we used that to supplement the work that Liz was already doing with Gable aboard that ship so that we could bring all of the characters together and have it be interesting, exciting, and fun. Uh, maybe Mini Singleton was actually to bring Travis and Jonnet to Gable, or no, Margaret found them. I can't remember exactly why we did Mini Singleton, but we were able to really invest in Mini Singleton as a character because we had the time and the luxury of time to do that. And I think it led to like, a unexpectedly strong portion of a really strong arc uh, because we were able to do that. And that's because, frankly, we weren't wasting anybody's time at the table by doing mini singleton stuff. We were all telling that same story. We were all telling that story together. And it it put us in a position where we could create something of value spontaneously. And we could take a, a small branching story of like Gable happened to be like uh, arrested by the church because of how they approached this conversation with them and whatnot, able to turn that into a fun story beat that revealed more about what was going on in the world and about the characters and whatnot. And we we're able to do that simply because I'm not worried about like, well, I've only got this guest performer for, for this certain amount of stuff. And after that, like I got, I got to hit these beats because I'm not going to have them around every week. And I can't expect to do that because that'll make it even harder to record with everybody else. That's an issue that we, we kind of ran into when we had Lex on last arc. Like we only had those three recording sessions and I already felt like I was wearing out my welcome having Lex on as a collaborator uh, with how much I had asked them to do already. So like the dreams, the, 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 the confrontation with the Mariner in that arc was supposed to be bigger, but we ran out of time because we spent a lot of time like carefully exploring the past of both of these characters and how Jonnet's past like was in conversation with teacher Way's past. I think that was beautiful and valuable. And like, yeah, it does again, make the Mariner look like more of a chump than I ever really want the Mariner to look. But like at the end of the day, we were doing good character stuff and I stand behind it. So all of that said, answering the question that was asked on the table, how did it change scheduling for recordings? It made it really tough. Uh, it made it so that this arc had fewer recording sessions overall and that those recording sessions were harder to schedule and therefore some of the scenes felt more pinched or or set in in my opinion as game master and we didn't really get to explore all of the threads that I would have liked to have explored. I don't think necessarily uh, that that hurt the narrative in any way. I think uh, looking back at this arc, uh, I think it's very strong. A lot of strong things happened. There is a wistful part of me that wishes like, oh, I wish we had gotten to do this, this one more thing or this one other thing. But like, would I trade that for the amazing performances of our guests? No, I would just much rather us be able to like offer a substantial amount more money to really secure people in their schedules for recording. Uh, you know, if, if we were, if we were making the kind of money that, that some other uh, actual play podcasts were making, then I could be like, Hey, we're able to pay really, really well. So I don't feel bad booking you 
for five episodes because we're able to, you know, justify why you were making room for it in your schedule. And everybody at the table is going to be putting in amazing work. And yeah, like that, that would be my preference. That is not possible at this juncture in history. So, you know, hopefully we, we grow the show and this isn't an issue, but I will say for this upcoming arc, probably, yeah, for this upcoming arc, at least, uh, we're not doing guest stuff because, because of the production, uh, burden that it adds and the ways in which it, it forces me to a pace that I, I don't really want to be like, I would really like to have one of the arcs coming up be a longer arc. And that's not just like based on narrative rhythm or whatever. That is like, I think this show is at its strongest when it is free to explore and create and reinforce the stories that the characters are, are playing out. You know, when we have the time to create a, a, a mini singleton, when we have the time to spontaneously create or, or you know, to, create the, the bird competition and all of the things around the bird competition. Like that is a great strength of this show. And I feel like in the last several arcs, uh, we haven't been able to access it for one reason or another. So I am again, I'm not blaming guests for this because guests really enhanced the, the last couple arcs, like very obviously I'm so glad we had Lex and Dominion. I am so glad we had bees and Rashawn and Mel and Drew in this arc, but I, I do want, you know, easier scheduling, easier recording sessions so that we can really take some time and support these characters well as they continue their journeys through the skies. I hope that properly honors uh, the, the guests and communicates some of the, the production schedules well enough. All right. Uh, do you have any ideas for the implementations of Hip's new eye? Also, we love to see Jonnet's goth pirate dad and his cottagecore farm dad at each other's throats. Um, so ideas? Yes. And we are going to approach some of these ideas in the next arc. So I don't want to uh, give too much away here. Hmm. Yeah. Like when I realized that it was a possibility, I was kind of hoping that there would be some sort of divine element to the healing that Hip received. Either that or some kind of necromantic element to the healing that Hip received because of the ways it would create connections between characters. For for the necromantic thread, it would have created this connection between Hip and Oromar and added more narrative weight to, to that whole subplot. But giving it this divine element, it allows a connection between Hip and Jonnet. And right now, that is hard to play out, especially with how strong the burning of the, the name has been and in the ways that Tyler uh, – chose to define it. So, so it, it provides like a convenient way to connect these characters and maybe open up some channels of communication. Obviously that's next arc stuff. I already know how I want some of it to go. And, uh, we're, we're pretty far into recording the next arc. I know how some of it has gone already. So I, I was excited about that and I, I do have ideas and I think they are fun ideas but like it was also a thing that could have broken a couple different ways in the moment. I I just I, I like when I was setting up the beat before I realized that like you know there could be like divine eye stuff that we were doing with it. I was just like this is a cool opp opportunity for either Oromar or Jonnet to help and save Hip. Then like as a surprise, Travis and Gable showed up to the scene which opened up like some pra for practical reasons, Gable also being a part of it. But I was like, okay, well, if Gable's a part of it, it's still divine and we can still tie it to Jonnet's thing. But like that was literally like the immediate thing in setting up uh, hip being injured, what I was looking for out of it. And when we came to like a couple steps beyond that, I was like, okay, well, how, how does this healing go down? Because I really don't want to kill off this character in this moment. That doesn't feel 
right in in terms of of how the narrative should unfold. Uh, so like I was I wanted somebody to save Hip, but how Hip got saved was up in the air, and no matter what was going to have big implications in the plot. I think the way it went down is really neat. It's got some of those body horror elements that you know I love to slip into the show and gives us plenty of room for drama. And that is all of the listener questions uh, that I've got at the time of this recording. So I want to thank everyone so, so very much for uh, listening to this arc. I am really excited about the next arc. It is one that we as a cast have been talking about for a while. It is a big arc. Big things are going to happen in this arc. It it there are going to be parts of it I think that will be challenging, but it is in service to a larger story that uh I think everybody is going to really love. So like pre- prepare for a real one. It, it, it's coming up, but it is the parts of it that we've recorded are already so good. And we are working our hardest to make it even better. I can't wait for you to listen to it. Um, that will be a little bit. Again, we are we're taking a, a small break. So um there is I'm I'm just trying to sort out the production schedule in my head. You had last week the narrative episode and the first part of my debrief. This week, we had all of the listener questions. Um, Next week, I expect to be off, and we may be off uh, the week after that. I am now pulling up a calendar, the week of the 26th. So November 2nd, we may be off. There's a possibility we will also be taking off November 9th. Um, However, you know, also... There, there will be uh, uh, we'll be taking off uh, in observance of the Thanksgiving holiday in November. So, I'm gonna try and avoid too much of a gap, but I do want time for people to rest. There is a lot of audio for people to arrange. We're working on big things, like I said, the the migration here at the One Shot Network, um, as well as preparing for uh, Tracy's paternity leave. So. Here's the thing. So because there is a chance uh, that the second and the ninth will be off, what I'm going to do is there will probably I will probably slot an original fiction that I don't know how long it is into one of those weeks. And I'll need to be able to write it in a week. But that will supplement uh, the arc that you are going to hear. Then we, we will jump into that. I guess there will be a week or two of episode than our regular holiday break. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. I'm going to have to ask Tracy, uh, where he wants, uh, his, his vacation today to be and, um, their vacation week, I should say. Uh, I don't need to do all of this thinking out loud. Expect the show to return by November 16th with a new narrative episode. That is the start of our new arc. And then we'll be back to our regular weekly schedule. Speaking of weekly Skyjacks, I would love it if people would support us over on Patreon. It helps us make uh, this show what it is. And I think what this show is, is incredible. I'm, I'm so very proud of this show and everybody who works on it. And I want to keep making it. And I want to make it at a higher and higher levels. And one of the ways that we do that is through your support, through your direct support for the show and the people who make it. Uh, the best way to do that is signing up for regular contributions on Patreon. That provides us our monthly budget. That is how we are able to produce this show. Like Skyjacks takes tens of thousands of dollars a year to produce. Uh, I sat down with, with, uh, my business partner, Shane, uh, at one point and, you know, he, he pointed out to me exactly how expensive this show is and how much we, we put into it. And it is a little bit staggering and you don't see that most of the time because it comes out for free. Uh, the other thing is we are switching over to a host that has dynamic ads, uh, which will allow us to, even for people who cannot contribute to Patreon, by listening and having those ads in the program, 
that is a way that you are supporting the show simply by downloading it, simply by listening. And we'll probably be putting together uh, uh, listener events of re-listens once those ads are are live and launched so that uh, we can continue to to generate more money and, you know, hopefully do bigger and, and better things with this show as we go on. But yeah, uh, a sincere thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for making this thing, which is the artistic piece that I am, I'm proudest of, of all of the things that I have done, uh, such an amazing thing. I, I really do appreciate it, and I can't wait to bring you more. Now, with all of that out of the way, remember, there are no kings. Take flight. Scotty The history of role-playing games is weird and wild, and we here at System Mastery are determined to look through it all. Every heartbreaker that drove a man to bankruptcy to see his vision of D&D with really specific armor maintenance rules come to fruition. Every game where you get increasingly certain as you read it that this is all just one person's weird fetish. Every system that painstakingly recreates how medieval life was really like, and then also you can cast Fireball. The System Mastery podcast wallows in the filth of RPG history. Come, join us in the muck at System Mastery. 